priorities are in alignment with God's and you live in obedience to Him, you have all you need for a fulfilling life. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah illustrates this truth in the Old Testament account of rebuilding of the temple. As God's people learn to stop making excuses and start living in obedience. To introduce the conclusion of his message, straightening out our priorities, here's David. Well, thank you for being with us. Um, I'm sure you've noticed that January is almost gone. We just started 2022, and one-twelfth of it is almost in the rearview mirror. I know they tell you that time seems to move quicker and faster when you get older. I don't know if that's true. I know that a lot is going on right now, and God is up to some important things in the ministry here at Turning Point and in our church. And every day is kind of like uh, it's hard to believe that that each day brings more excitement and more adventure and more opportunities. We live now, men and women, in, I believe, the greatest days of opportunity for the gospel we've ever had since I've been doing this for this half century. So, obviously, we're very excited to get up every day and see what God is up to. Today, we're going to talk about um, strengthening our priorities and getting them straightened out. And, you know, one of the things I love about the Bible, the Bible is not only a story in itself, but it's a book full of stories. And this story from the book of Haggai is riveting, and it's filled with uh, walkaway principles to help you every day. You're going to find yourself there, perhaps. And when you do, you will be blessed to have studied this passage and be on the other side of it, putting it into practice. Don't forget, we just have a few days left for you to order your copy of The Prayer Code. This is O.S. Hawkins' book, 210 pages. It's a hardback gift book. Actually, the, the cover's not really hard. It's kind of soft because it's leather. And uh, in this book, you will find 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. He's chosen these prayers from among the great prayers, and there are 600 prayers in the Bible. He just chose 40 of them, maybe the top 40, to teach you how to pray. And these are just great, filled with good illustrations and principles, a code word for every chapter. I promise you, if you take this book seriously, it will transform your life. It will help you develop a deeper relationship with God. You can use it for your own use or for group study. It's a wonderful addition to your daily time in the Scripture. And the prayer code is yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point in these remaining days of January. Ask for your copy when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Well, open your Bible once again to the Old Testament book of Haggai, and we're in the first chapter, and let's finish what we started yesterday, straightening out our priorities. We discover in many areas of life that starting well is easier than finishing well. How's your diet coming? It's easy, is it not, for the luster to wear off? And that's what happened for the Jews. Ezra 4, verse 24, has this very sad note. For the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. There was a day when none of the Jews came to help with the temple project. Little by little, over weeks, I am sure the number had dwindled, but one day nobody showed up and the work stopped. As you read the rest of Ezra's account, you discover that the work of the returned Jews stopped because there were some people in the neighborhood who didn't like it. They were getting some opposition. But there really was no reason for stopping the work on the temple. They had been given an irrevocable decree of permission from the king of Persia. They had no reason to stop. 
But somehow along the way, the values of the people begin to change. Instead of building the temple, they begin to put their efforts into the building of their own houses. I'm not making this up, folks. This is in the Bible. The work of God languished as their personal pursuit of things continued. The book of Haggai contains the messages that Haggai the prophet preached to his countrymen to stir them to action to get back to their priorities. It is probable that Haggai was an old man at the time of his messages. And the people respected him. And they listened as he explained that their neglect of God and his work was the reason for the economic problems they were experiencing in their community at that time. So let me walk through just the first chapter with you. The excuse of the people. Haggai 1 and 2. And the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, watch this, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Why did they stop doing what they came to do? They said the time was not right. Haggai's prophecy begins with a complex set of quotations that essentially say this. The people of Israel were saying that it just wasn't the right time to complete the rebuilding of God's house. That was their excuse. The timing wasn't right. The temple needed to be finished, but now was not the right time. It's amazing to read this excuse and realize how common it is even today. We're not opposed to it. We're just opposed to the timing of it. The people felt it was better to return to the fields and harvest their crops than to give priority to God's instructions to rebuild the temple. So not the right time became we don't have time. And the tendency to put off, to procrastinate when it comes to God's work is widespread, is it not? We're always looking for a more convenient time to do what we know we should do now. I don't know of another realm in which the excuse of I'll get to it someday is heard more often than in the matter of financial stewardship. So many people reason, I know I need to do this, but the timing is just not right now, Pastor. After I get this in order, after I get this done, after I pay this off, I just got out of college, I got a big college. So often people with the timing excuse never do find the right time. Let me tell you something that I've reemphasized over and over. It's kind of a new lesson I've learned over the last five years. Whenever we hesitate to do the will of God and we allow time to go by between his instruction and our obedience, we are asking for trouble. Because Almighty God works on the basis of obedience. He blesses on the basis of our complying with his will. And Satan works on the basis of disobedience, and he does his best work when the people of God procrastinate, when they hesitate or delay in obeying God's word. No wonder David said in Psalm 119, I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. That's a good verse to write down in your journal. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. That's how we should respond as Christians to the word of the Lord in our lives. So the excuse that people brought up for not continuing the work on the house of God was it just wasn't the right time. Well, the prophet exhorted them in verses 3 and 4, so we have the exhortation of the prophet. 
And the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Oops. I love these Old Testament prophets because they just go straight to the point. They don't mess around. They just get right to the point, right in your face. It's not time for you to build a temple, but it's time for you to build your paneled houses. He begins with a slightly sarcastic tone by referring to the time they spent building their own houses. They didn't have time to build God's house, but apparently they had time to build their own house while the temple lay in ruins. The houses the people were building were not just plain houses. Haggai said they were paneled houses, finished with luxurious wood beams and panels on the inside. Their ceilings and walls were probably covered with cedar wood, a sign of extravagance in a land where wood was very scarce. This was imported into Jerusalem for these houses. The people were going to significant trouble and expense to build very nice houses for themselves. Now, please note and get this straight so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God wasn't rebuking the Israelites for building houses. He wasn't rebuking them for providing for their families. The Bible tells us that's what we're supposed to do. He was rebuking them for their disordered priorities. They had everything they needed, and they still weren't generous to God. The people had forgotten why God had allowed them to return to their land. It was not to enrich themselves. It was to restore God to a central place in the life of his covenant people. The temple was the primary indicator of that central place. They had gotten distracted after their initial burst of enthusiasm and had started investing in themselves in the place of investing in God. They were using money that belonged to God to build comfortable lives for themselves. All they had done for God was to erect an altar upon which sacrifices could be offered, and then they turned aside from this bare minimum approach to rebuilding the temple to build their own comfortable places. The actions of the people reveal the attitudes of their heart. Isn't that usually true? What we do is based upon what we believe, where our heart is. Their worship was confined to an altar in a field. They would come from their paneled houses, worship around the altar on that slab, and tell themselves everything was cool. Through the prophet Haggai, God was exhorting his people to make him their priority. So the excuse of the people is followed by the exhortation of the prophet And now we're going to see what was going on in the company of the Israelites because of what they did, the explanation of their poverty. Verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's an important phrase. It's in the text a couple of times. Whenever the Bible says consider your ways, that means stop and think about what you're doing. Take a little time for self-reflection. Do a little inventory on your own attitudes. You have sown much, said Haggai, and you bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, I love this, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes in it. Have you ever felt like that, what was going on in your life? You go to work, you earn all your money, you bring it home, you put it into the bag, and you look up, and all the money's run out of the hole in the bottom of it. What happened to all my money? All the time the people were protecting their own self-interests and neglecting the work of God, their net worth was going down. Instead of increasing their value, they were actually lowering it. First their values changed, and then their value changed. 
The people had become full-fledged materialists. They had an insatiable desire for more things. They had turned their attention from God to the accumulation of goods, and the prophet was warning them to think about what they were doing. Consider your ways, he said. What happened to a man when he starts acting this way? He grabs more and more, and he can never get enough. He cannot get enough things. He can't get enough clothes. He can't get enough investments, and he can't satisfy his passion for goods. And the result of this lifestyle is described by Haggai in three very colorful metaphors. First of all, failure. In verse 6, he says, you have sown much and you bring in little. No matter how hard you work, said Haggai, it's never quite hard enough. And the more you work, the more you have to just keep up with what you had before. And when you add up all of the things that have happened, the expenses, you've hardly advanced your value at all. I've heard that story from so many people over the years. You know, one of the things that happens when you're a young couple and you're trying to make it in the world and you want to put your kids in a Christian school, for instance, sometimes you think, well, I've got to have this and I've got to have that. So everybody goes to work. And everybody goes to work and nobody's at home, so the kids don't have any parents at home. And then what happens is you have to go hire people to do what you would do if you were at home. And when you get all done and you put the ledger down on paper, you look at it and you're not getting any, you're not getting ahead. This is what happens sometimes if our priorities get a little out of whack. And I'm not saying that some people don't have to do that. So I'm just using that as an illustration. If we're not careful, we allow our priorities to push us into places that we think are going to take us further. And we end up not getting any further and sometimes falling behind. So the first thing they felt was failure. Then they had frustration. Notice verse 6 again. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but nobody is warm. Nothing satisfies. Nothing accomplishes what we hoped it would be. We get there, and it's not where we thought we would be. We're frustrated. It's like climbing the ladder of success only to discover it's leaning against the wrong wall. How many illustrations are there about that? And finally, there's futility. He who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. No matter how much we earn, it seems never to be enough. As we multiply riches, we multiply expenses, and we feel no sense of gain. Solomon wrote about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. And by the way, if you guys who are in business want to read a chapter that will shake your thought process up about money, go to the book of Ecclesiastes and read the fifth chapter. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 11 says this, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? Have you ever noticed that movie stars have a posse? Do you know what a posse is? I mean, it's all the people that gather around them. Here's somebody who came up, he's in high school, just was a single person all by himself, but he's really good at football, and he gets a scholarship when he gets to school, a lot of people want to hang out because he's popular. But when he goes to the NFL and he gets a big contract, all of a sudden you never see this dude by himself anymore. He's always got six or seven or eight guys hanging around with him. What are they doing? They're eating his goods. No matter how hard he works, if he's not careful, the people that eat what he provides keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so he looks back and he's no better off than he was when he was in college. So what Haggai is saying to these people is this. You go out, you work hard, your priorities are all messed up, you're not doing what God wants you to do, and you're trying so hard to get ahead. But look at what's going on. 
All you do now, you got so many people that are eating off of what you do, you're not any further ahead than you were. What are you thinking? What is his word? Consider your ways. <laughs> Take a look at what you're doing. And then he asks them to examine their priorities. Haggai 1, 7 through 11 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, God said, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house is in ruins. While every one of you runs off to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil and whatever the ground brings forth of men and livestock and on your labor of your hands. For the second time in this passage we read, Consider your ways. God examines the hearts of the people through the words of Haggai, and he tells the people that they looked for much and it never came. Because when they got it, God blew it away because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. See, the people thought they were getting ahead by neglecting God's priorities, but in reality they were accomplishing nothing. While all their energies, resources, and money was being directed upon themselves, their actual net worth wasn't increasing. Inflation and spending was eating up everything they hoped to gain. Isn't it interesting how that happens to us even today? We work so hard and we think, okay, if we get to this place and we get this raise and we make this much, things are going to be better. But we get there and in the process of getting there, a whole bunch of stuff happens that increases our expenses and we're just working harder. We're getting more, but we're spending more. I remember an old preacher one time saying this, and I hardly can get through Stewardship Month without sharing this little poem with you, but it's one of my favorite of all times. Here it is. When God gets his and I get mine, then everything is just fine. But if I get mine and I take God's too, what do you think God will do? I think he'll collect, don't you? (laughs) The accumulation of goods at the expense of robbing God is futile. Haggai asks the people to examine their own lives and to consider their ways and sit down and take inventory. And the Bible says the people did just that. You know, this is one of the wonderful passages for a pastor because the message is preached and the people hear it and they actually do what the preacher says. What a novel thought. <laughs> then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Here we are not told anything about the words of repentance. We don't have the discussion of it. All we know is Haggai preached. The people heard. They repented of what they were doing. They asked God to forgive them. They got back on target with their priority, went back to rebuilding the temple. And the encouragement of God's promise in verse 13 is the same promise he gives to us today. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you says the Lord. All God was trying to do was get their attention. All he was trying to do was help them understand that if they want to have joy in their lives, what are your priorities? I am a person, and I have a relationship with God. I am a partner, and I have a relationship with my wife. 
the priority system that we have as believers starts with number one, and number one is God. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no better way to demonstrate that God is number one than when we tithe. Because we take something that's tangible, not an attitude of heart, not even an emotion. We take something that's tangible, and we take that tangibility, and we dedicate it, first of all, to God. And by doing that very thing, we are saying in our hearts, I am a person, and I have a relationship with God. We put God first. And there's so much more in this text to speak about, but let me just give you one last thought. And that is, after their priorities have been examined and their encouragement has been given, there's a little word here about the example of their leaders. I dare not leave this out for my own sake and for all of us who are leaders in this church. Here's what it says. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. The Bible says the Lord stirred up the hearts of the leaders. And when the leaders got stirred up, the people get stirred up. Amen? I can't bring anything to you unless it's come through me first. I want to tell you something that I need you to hear that's really important. For me to stand up here and tell you you need to tithe, if I don't tithe, I'm the biggest hypocrite and phony that ever walked on this earth. And I promise you, I do not do that. Don and I have been practicing this spiritual discipline for all of our lives as Christians, and no longer just a tithe, but asking God constantly to help us add a percentage, just one percentage point. You do that over a few years, and it grows pretty quickly. So I'm standing up here to tell you I've tried this. God has worked in our lives. He's shown us his blessing in our lives, in our family. And when you tithe and you put God first, you sense this word of promise, and the Lord is with you. And so what happened to a bunch of people who had priorities, and they lost them for a while, they found them again. And when they found them again, God got back on their team, and God began to bless them. God blesses us when we obey him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Maybe as you've been listening to this message today, you've been feeling a little bit like the Israelites in the days of Haggai. Maybe your bag of money seems to have a hole in it, and the wind is blowing away your resources before you can cash the check in the bank. So I just want to challenge you today. I want to encourage you to put your future and your finances in God's hands and begin to trust Him. If you try it your way, it's going to be ugly. It's not a pretty picture, and it doesn't end well. But if you try it God's way, you're going to discover God never has outpromised Himself. What God says He will do, He will do. It's not just David Jeremiah saying that. That's a whole congregation of people who know that when you put God first, something unique happens in your life. Give him the tithe first. Watch him go to work in your behalf. He loves you. He's waiting for you to test him. And he challenges you today to begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, when I first started preaching years ago, friends, um, uh, I knew that I should teach people the principles of the Scripture about tithing, but I was terrified. And people used to, we used to talk about it as pastors. And, you know, some pastors never get over that. They never preach on it. And they're, 
They're robbing their own people from the blessing of these truths. Well, I got over it, and I remember saying that God taught me how to take something that was threatening and make it thrilling, and that's what we've done with these principles of stewardship. I'm so excited to be able to share these with you because I know that if you put them into practice, they'll change your life. And uh, you'll be saying, oh, man, thank you, Dr. Jeremiah, for helping me see the blessing involved in giving to God. And um, we have two or three more lessons on this before we uh, get into the month of February. Tomorrow, I want to talk to you about Jesus' forgotten blessing. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got to wait until tomorrow to find out. Be sure and join us. The prayer code is still available from Turning Point. It's our January resource, this 210-page leather-covered hardback book from O.S. Hawkins will take you through 40 important prayers in the scripture and teach you how to pray in your own life with greater success and and greater uh, joy. You can have this book as yours for a gift of any size during this month. Ask for it when you send your gift today. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is a blessing in your life, tell us about it by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L, 2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code. 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in several durable and stylish cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our series on stewardship here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. If you are not a senior citizen yourself, you probably know one an aging parent, an elderly neighbor, or friend at church. The reality of the aging process is that things move more slowly, physically as well as mentally. 
and that requires a fresh commitment to patient love for our elderly friends. Patience is needed for those at the very beginning of life and those nearing life's end. And patience, well, it's a part of God's kind of love. Just think how patient God is with us. And we need to have God's patient love for those who may be moving a bit slower as they age. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's patient love on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.